put a plug out for Brian this morning. So, again, thankful for him uh, and how we will miss him. And he is moving today, needs help at 2 o'clock if you're able to move boxes or furniture or point for other people who are. Uh, 2 o'clock at his house, he would uh, greatly appreciate your help coming out to assist him uh, this afternoon. So just keep that in mind. And of course, as always, tonight's our communion service, and what a uh, great time to come together to worship God as we, uh, as we think about the cost of our salvation, uh, this body he gave for us, his life that, that was, and blood that was spilled out on our behalf so that we might have everlasting life. Our salvation is free. It's a free gospel message, isn't it? Oh, but it wasn't free. Very costly, and we come tonight to remember that it cost uh, our Savior's dear life, precious life. So, if you have your Bibles open in front of you in Luke chapter number two, <clears throat> Luke's Gospel chapter number two. Over the next couple of weeks, I want to focus our attention on uh, on the birth of Jesus and, and uh, facts and things revolving around. Uh, Christ in his first advent or his first coming uh, as referred to uh, and as we know Christmas is fastly approaching us and uh, so it's good to bring our minds back to that uh, the most central part uh, the most significant part of our celebration and that is the person of Jesus Christ uh, I know that there's many things in this life to distract us and occupy ourselves with in these these days leading up to i don't know if you feel like your calendar is full how many of you do got a full calendar over the next couple weeks uh, and you try to wonder how to fit all that in Um, and i know as we look at christmas and the joy of of our celebration we probably differ on to the things uh, we consider to be significant Uh, for some of us it's family and gathering others it's food uh, and others, it's fudge. Uh, whenever, what other time of year do you get fudge made so much as you do in Christmas? What a joyous season it is. I know it's not donuts, brother, but it's close. It's really close. I'll put in a word for Duncan uh, to have some fudge made. Well, um, as we think about this and we think about presents and, and occupied who to buy, what to buy, where to buy, and all that other stuff that goes on, I, I find it helpful for me having to prepare to preach week after week as a, a discipline by God's grace has given me to reel yourself back in and to, to think about those things uh, that are important, significant, to be reminded uh, what it is we celebrate. And I know that... Uh, I know that many of us think that this season has kind of uh, ran ahead of what the meaning is all about and, and gotten into something all, altogether different and its commercialization. And yet, in the midst of that, we, we have that opportunity here. And as we read our Bible and, and many of the other disciplines that you do, whether you do Advent or whatever it is, to, to consciously and take that effort and that time to, to bring those things before your mind. And I think that's needful. That's, and I think that is very helpful for us as we come together because, because there, there is that, that wonderful element when it comes to the Christmas story. Uh, and, and I'll just go ahead and confess to you right now, if you want to know where I stand, I believe it's true. Uh, I think as, as it was written, as we read in the Gospels, I think that's just how it happened. That's just the way I take it. Uh, and I also think it's amazing when I think about it. 
but I don't know if you're like me, it is easy sometimes when we hear the Christmas story to kind of kind of let our minds go into neutral because we've heard it so much. We see kids acting it out in plays and watch it on TV and we hear that uh, read in Luke. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And sometimes, if we're not careful, if we're honest, uh, that we can just kind of drift and not think about exactly what's going on. And so so that is that is mental discipline and that is energy that, that we, we need to be brought back and think about these things as they are in this wonderful message of the coming of a Messiah, the coming of Christ. <clears throat> when you begin the New Testament of your Bibles, uh, uh, every one of them starting differently as you're familiar with your New Testament, a good deal of effort is given uh, to the setting of the stage or, or explanation given to who this person is. It's going to focus on the next 20 chapters or, or however many chapters are in each gospel record. There, there, there's intention trying to show us or, or say something to us about what these pages behold or, or who they're telling us about. Uh, as you understand in, in, in uh, Matthew, as he begins, quite an um, unusual way in our way of thinking, Matthew chapter number one, turn back with me and look at that. We read throughout the, the accounts of, of the beginning, Luke and Matthew, um, the reality of this carpenter's son and uh, this Jesus who was born in obscurity, who had such miraculous things happening at his birth. And we read that in Luke and all the other things going on. And, and we wonder to ourselves as you read on into the Gospels, um, what we might expect from him. It's just amazing to hear uh, about wise men coming and, and all those things like that, a virgin giving birth and shepherds and babies leaping in the wound and all of the fantastic account that God gives us. And yet a lot of effort and energy is given to connect us, not just to the moment of his birth, but to the full history of, of this promise that God has given. Uh, as I said, Matthew begins in a kind of unusual way and, and um, I was kidding with Ben when he asked me what scripture to read. I said Matthew chapter 1. Uh, I thought I'd be merciful and go to Luke. Uh, <laughs> because we wonder why in the world, if you're going to give a gospel, would you start with genealogies? And, and we're so disconnected, not even from the pronunciation of this, but, but sometimes from the significance of it. And yet Matthew begins with verse number 1 saying, In the book of or the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Showing at the very uh, outset or, or the very onset of this message about Jesus Christ, this Advent, or, or we call it Christmas is what we call it, or, or whatever you want to refer to it as, at this, its roots is much deeper than what was happening in Bethlehem. Much deeper and, and something far uh, grander than than even where we begin with an angel coming to Mary uh, in in Galilee. It roots it in two historical figures in the Old Testament, that of Abraham and that of David, both significant and both uh, found having been given really just enormous, glorious promises by God himself. 
We read in Genesis chapter number 22 what we refer to as the Abrahamic covenant. And, and hinging upon that covenant is this declaration in verse number 18. And God had promised him that in your offspring, that is your seed and other translations, shall the, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Matthew beginning, and as we come to understand the Old Testament, all that God would promise and, and the fullness of what the nation of Israel was to expect would come through this line of Abraham. It would be looking at and focusing on the children of Abraham that we would come to understand what exactly God had planned for the world, what he meant by all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that's exactly what our Old Testament does after Genesis doesn't it? It continues to follow this, this pattern, this flow of God working in the covenant community people, as they refer to in the Old Testament, with the nation of Israel following this great promise and leading us to something further. David, likewise, a central figure in the Old Testament, and uh, you see this great promise, the Davidic promise is referred to a Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel, chapter number 7, verses 12 through 13, God tells David after desiring to build a house for God, and God says, you're not going to build me a house. I'll build my own, <laughs> uh, in essence. But he goes on and promises him that he would raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. We look right after David, we see this glorious King Solomon and all that was done, but we know he didn't last forever, right? He died and was buried somewhere, uh, and he had a son, and, and it goes on. And, and, of course, he was not faithful at the end of his life either. And, and what it does, what, what we see in the Old Testament is it's continuing to point us forward, to anticipate or to wait on something fuller, something more. Something to embody both of those promises and a, and a hundred more phrases and statements in the, in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is just, just kind of an, an arrow sign leading us down the road. God has promised and there is this anticipation or this expectation we see in the Old Testament. Matthew, he's beginning his gospel by saying here, here it is. Connecting with those two people. This central figure is this child that is born Jesus Christ. Two other figures that we have in our text in the Gospel of Luke, if you can turn back there with me, <clears throat> verses 22 through verse 38 are likewise show us the antiquity of the moment of Jesus being born uh, of Mary in Bethlehem. Simon and Anna both giving us and conveying to us this, this Old Testament reality of waiting, or this Old Testament reality of how they live anticipating uh, what God had promised was to come. Let me begin reading in verse number 22, and we'll read down through, uh, through this again. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. 
Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon, and his, this man was a righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Let's, that in itself is just a really encouraging statement, even bringing us back to this kind of anticipating uh, and waiting on the Lord. Verse number 27, And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, blessed God, and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. As we look at this uh, passage together this morning, I want to first point out this nation's anticipation. Uh, and we see that in, in several different phrases used here, both by uh, Simon and Anna later on in verse number 38, where she begins speaking, prophesying, and begins speaking to those who are around her as she holds the baby Jesus. And she begins uh, talking to all, verse number 38, who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem pointing to this fact that people were living with this hope, this anticipation, this eagerness, this, this maybe today kind of mentality. We know that, right? We talk about uh, our, our brother uh, down in Morehouse who's eagerly waiting, anticipating uh, that return of the Lord. And so here is a people living with this anticipation that God had not finished his work in the Old Testament as they closed the book. Now, there was something more. Something that all of that was pointing to, and here we find found in this small child being born. Simeon shows us it himself, as we find in verse number 25, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, the word consolation, it means the comfort or the peace of Israel. And that after all that God has done in all the Old Testament history, bringing us up to this final point that they were still waiting for this fullness when God would bring restoration and joy and finish his work in the nation of Israel. You read through the book of Isaiah and it, over and over it declares that, that there is this peace, this restoration to this, this nation that they would, they would see. And here is Simeon waiting for that. Isaiah 40, a great place to begin. Uh, and, and really just a pivotal turn in that book when he says, Comfort, comfort my people. In the beginning of this chapter and all the servant zones all coming back to this point, a time of comfort and peace for this nation of Jerusalem. They were waiting and longing for this consolation of Israel. But it wasn't just a moment in peace of Israel, but it was waiting for the means or the person or the, or, or the one whom God would use to bring about this comfort, which is seen in the next verse that we find in verse number 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Again, what an amazing promise. Here's a man who is waiting. Could you imagine having the Holy Spirit tell you and and you will not see death until you see the Lord's Christ. And every day you go to the temple, every day you, you live your life, maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day. 
in some ways we see that kind of how easy it translates in our New Testament times. We stand on the other side and wait for the return of the Lord and we say to ourselves, maybe today, but yet here is a man living with this promise that he would not see death until he's seen not just a consolation, but the Messiah. That's what he means by Christ here. It means the, uh, the anointed one, what we see in the Old Testament, uh, acquainted to the one whom God anointed, or, or we see in Isaiah 61, anointed with the Holy Spirit for a particular cause or particular purpose. The kings were anointed and priests were anointed. And so this anointed one means the Lord's servant or the Lord's chosen vessel for a particular person, this Messiah. And Jeremiah, we see this anticipation of him in Uh, Chapter 33, verses 14 through 17, he says, I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah in those days. And at that time, I will cause the righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute uh, justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell in securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. If that isn't a New Testament idea, and uh, speaking of the righteousness given to us through Jesus Christ. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel in Jeremiah 33, 14 through 17. So there is this expectation, not just of a consolation that an event will take place and Jerusalem will be liberated and, and the Jews will have their own whatever they're going to have. No, it was an anticipation or expecting of a leader. Uh, of, a, of a king to come, of one who would come to rule in righteousness. We read in Isaiah 9 and we go through all the things that this king would look like. They were anticipating, they were anticipating their deliverer. It's quite interesting as, as uh, Simeon looks at the child and as he pronounces this, as he holds him in his arm and, and uh, verse number 22, Nine, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. I'm ready to go is what he's saying. You've been faithful to your word. I'm ready to go home. Uh, and the reason why, he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. All of the hopes of Israel wrapped up in this person, this child, this figure that we've come to see as the central point of our celebration, ought to be of our celebration. The advent, the person of Jesus Christ. He is the hinge by which all of, all of the Old Testament and New Testament swing upon. It, it is in, in, in this person, wrapped up in this person, that, that everything is pointing to. From the old, it's, it's anticipating, it's, it's leading us along to wait for this. And in the New Testament, as we find in the Gospels here in Luke and Matthew as they begin and later on, here he is, is what they're saying. Not disconnected from the Old Testament in, in the sense of like it, 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 there's no relationship. No, he's saying that all of that in the old was saying, yes, look for this. And now he's saying, here it is, you found it. You found it. The age old promise waiting all the way back from the Garden of Eden in chapter 3, verse 15. That he who would come to deliver, deliver the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. You see the antiquity of the promise and the nation's anticipation. The Lord's answer is found in this baby boy. Isn't that remarkable? The serpent would be crushed. And in the answer, salvation, uh, uh, he says, Simon says as he holds the baby, salvation is found in 
this baby that he's holding. It's a remarkable thing. And we'll talk more about why Jesus came in the weeks ahead, uh, Lord willing, and, and the significance of being uh, taking on flesh. But, but uh, don't miss the beauty of what it's pointing to, this real historical life baby that was born in Bethlehem. Here is your salvation, Lord. He points us to this figure. The answer is found in this babe who was wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's found in all of that. And how easy it is, right, to, to miss that. You know, we read an article, uh, I don't know when it was, years ago, about how, I guess it was a common thing, pranks was to steal the baby from the, the manger scene, you know, in cities. And so they would steal those from churches. And you got everything but the baby. And sometimes it feels like Christmas is like that. We've got everything but the central figure. And sometimes even in our own reading and thinking about it, we get so wrapped up in everything that is spectacular. We ought to. Those things are wonderful. God has revealed that. But all of those things are a big, bold arrow pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. It's all bringing us back to this central figure, Jesus, God's salvation prepared for us and it's also remarkable as we consider God's answer in uh, in this baby that was born but also uh, in the situation he was born into it says in verse number 24 as they went to offer the sacrifices and dedicate the child unto the Lord he was circumcised as a normal child as a normal firstborn would or a normal male would be circumcised verse number 21 and he comes and Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now, why is that important? Well, it just simply says they were poor. I mean, that's what Leviticus points us back to the provision God has made in chapter number 12, verses 6 through 8. If she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. You know, we got the magazines that you look at, you know, when you're checking out in the grocery store. And you hear about everybody's news and everybody's going on and the, and the royal people and their babies and all that other stuff. And yet God brings his salvation into a lowly, humble setting, into obscurity. I just find that remarkable. Fitting for who he is and what he would be. He would be the servant uh, of the Old Testament, the servant of the New Testament we find in Philippians. He was meek and lowly. Here, God's answer is given to a lowly family in a lowly state. But not only do we see the answer, I want you to see the, uh, I want you to see what the announcement which Simon gives to him. Look with me again, verse number 31 and 32. <clears throat> prophet's announcement is given here that you prepared in the presence of all your people for my eyes have seen your salvation verse 30 that you prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the gentiles and for glory to your people israel and rightly so and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him here his announcement was that this was not just something that was an anticipation for the Jewish nation. 
And while the pagan world was was running off in, into their paganism and worshiping idols and all this stuff they were doing, yet here, rooted in the word of God and the promises that he has given us, here is the answer even to the sinfulness of the nations. It wasn't just a promise to the Jews. And both you have here, and you find in the New Testament, this mystery which was hidden, that is Jew and Gentile, that middle wall which separated us, was torn away, and one new man in Christ Jesus. And so here we see uh, Simon at the very beginning of this. Here is, here is the, the light which God has sent to the nations. Several places that we find that. In the book of Isaiah, again, and I'll give you these references. You can look them up. Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. The light for the nations, he says, to open the eyes of the blind and to bring out of the prison from the dungeon, from the prisons, those who sit in darkness. Isaiah 49, 6. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Isaiah 52.10, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Psalms 2.8, I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your what? Your possession. Bring us back to that glorious reminder of God moving and working, not just to save a nation as we might assume that consolation of Israel, but that he may save that he may save humanity. That out of the nations he would bring out of every tongue and tribe and people. People, as we find in the book of Revelation, gathered around his throne praising him. Glorifying him and rejoicing in him for, for being redeemed from the ends of the earth. The answer for the darkness which the world was engulfed in. And the deceit which the nations had succumbed to in all of their idolatry and all of their paganism was to bring light into the world. Isn't that what Jesus claimed to be? That he is the light of the world. He has come to reveal to us the, the revelation of who God is in his self. To make the world see for the first time. One cannot miss the very fact of the impact of the birth of Jesus on on the Western calendar alone, right? We we see how we have been impacted by that. But uh, as I was reading through this and thinking through this and the verses in Isaiah, my mind went back to going to Egypt with Ed, uh, I guess a year and a half ago, right? Good thing we didn't go this year. Who knows what happened? Anyway, uh, so we went to Egypt and... What we saw there was people embodying what we saw in First Thessalonians, right? Turning away from idols and serving and worshiping the true and living God. There, Christ was being preached and they were worshiping God and they were proclaiming the gospel. Here's people who, who had the pyramids and, and had all of their antiquity of worshiping pagans and all the other stuff and, and even uh, Muhammad and all that stuff. And yet in the midst of that, what do you see? The penetrating reality of the gospel and that culture what about the multitude muslim nations to and and buddhist and hindu to to be a part of is to be who you are uh, it, it's part of their very identity and yet even in the midst of those what do we find christ being preached the gospel going forward many coming to faith in in jesus christ we're 
uh, as a mission team, we're meeting this coming week. I think it's this week. If not, uh, I'm planning on it anyway. I'll be over. Hope you. <laughs> so hopefully we'll meet. And we're talking about supporting a missionary, Pastor Mark. We've prayed for him in Tanzania. They have witch doctors in Tanzania. You know that? I mean, that's, we, that's stuff we watch about in TV. I know it seems kind of odd and funny to say that. And yet, yet in the midst of that, what do we find? You find a pastor who's preaching the gospel, who's standing upon the word of God and who's loving others and, and, and preaching Christ to others. You see the same thing. What about the Greeks and their elaborate system of gods and the Romans? And, and, and for us, it's a source of entertainment. We think how silly could people be to have a pantheon of gods that they worship and all that. We, I mean, we make a lot of movies out of it, right? I don't know if you good Christian folks have ever watched any of them, but, but they're out there. And yet God, through the Greek language, gave to us the message of the gospel for all to read and hear. And their gods and their paganisms are just things that we dig up because we're fascinated with rocks and broken down buildings. Over and over you see this effect of what Simeon was speaking about as he proclaimed a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. The, you see the power and the work of God going to the ends of the earth. Redeeming, pulling out of, lifting up out of paganism and idolatry and in the midst of it all what a, what a work of his grace as we celebrate that now and, and this day that this didn't begin when jesus sent out his disciples in, in matthew at the end of matthew this was in the very heart and mind of god from the very beginning from the very beginning working towards this end of, of reaching the nations bringing many and it isn't just the pagan societies that we find ourselves embracing a lie. That's what he speaks about in Isaiah as you read through those chapters. He's, he's really working against idolatry. And, and what he's saying is that the message of the gospel is lifting us, opening our eyes to see that the, the very thing in our hand, the very thing we give our life to is insignificant. It's wrong. It's a lie. It, it, it's not true. That's what the gospel does, doesn't it? It may do that in significant ways, as we talked about as witch doctors and all the things that's going on in Tanzania, but, but it does that in the Western world too, doesn't it? Not because we worship stones and gold and different, well, some people may, but, but for the most part, we don't do that. We believe the age-old lie of the serpent in the garden, don't we? You can be just like God. You can create your own reality, declare your own truth, be whatever you want to be. That's at the very heart of all the, the struggles that's going on and, and identity issues in our culture today. It is, it is, we are able to make of ourselves whatever we want to make without, without submitting to God's, God's design. And yet in the midst of the darkness we live in in our society, because it is dark, in the midst of that, the answer is still the same. God has sent forth light. He has sent forth hope and salvation. That's the very thing needed in our time. That is the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turning us and showing us that that which the hopes we've trusted in, that which we believe, that which we've rested on is a lie. And, and the truth and the answer is found in, in his son. I love God's invitation in the book of Isaiah 45, verses 22 through 23. 
He says, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn for my mouth has gone out in righteousness. A word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. You see God calling the nations, turn to me and be saved. I don't know where you're at this morning, what you're dealing with in, uh, in, in your life or in your family or in distant family. I don't know if you're saved or if you know Christ as your Savior, but that invitation is extended even to you this morning. Turn to me and be saved. Turn from the ends of the earth. And that's the hope we have for our neighbors, isn't it? Our family that we call and our family lives in Tennessee and, and our hope is not that we will get them fixed. It's hard. We, it's hard to stay connected sometimes. But our hope is that they will turn to the Lord. The answer is found in, in our culture and, and in the world. It, it is found in this person. That's what Simon says as he holds him up, as he rejoices in God, says, I'm ready to go. I've seen your salvation. This is the light of the world, the light to the Gentiles. I, I can't help but find uh, joy as I think about him lifting that up. And in the midst of that, you got Pilate and, and Caesar and all the other world just doing their own thing and worshiping their pagan gods and conquering and building and all the other stuff they were doing yet in the midst of that god was preparing a savior a savior that would penetrate deep into the darkness of their hearts the darkness of their culture the darkness of their their history and 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 all of the stuff that surrounds them and that, that through this child through this salvation he would he would bring about a people for himself a treasured possession and what a joy it is to know that as we think about the missionaries we support. As we think about this time, as we come together in, 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 in this season, we think about God's answer to the darkness that the world has succumbed to. And it's still the answer today, isn't it? It's still the light of the world. God's invitation. John the Apostle reminds us in his um, introduction in his gospel to us and. John chapter number one, I think it's verse number five. And he says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not, it has not overcome it. It has not conquered it. You know, beloved, it does seem dark, doesn't it? We look at the moral, ethical condition of the world we live in, of our own nation. It seems dark, doesn't it? And, and I don't know about you, when I was a child, I didn't like darkness. I liked light. Even now when I'm home by myself and Mary and them's gone, you know, overnight or something, I, every light in the house is on, you know, like the old country song, <laughs> until she gets back home. <laughs> it's just that kind of, I don't know what's associated with it. And what I want to tell you this morning, as we look at the world around us, as we, as we stand with that temptation to fear, God has brought light and hope into the world in this person of Jesus Christ and in our own hearts. We fear, we worry, we, we, we fret, and, and we do all that, yet the answer has still been the same. It has been wrapped up in what Christ has done and, and dying and raising from the dead for my sin and what he will do in coming again. So in one way, we, we have the answer and we, we rejoice in the fullness of what has taken place. And yet, in the other hand, we still live like Simon and Anna. We still wait, anticipating. 
with the joy and rejoicing that he's not coming in, in the babe in the manger. He's not coming in the way we've seen him before, but he's coming as we read in Revelation in power and might and strength and beauty and light and glory. What a comfort that is to our hearts, I think, as we look around us, as we consider the darkness of the world that we're in. It reminds us that, that we're not only uh, here and, and given the answer found in Jesus Christ, that is what we're to share, isn't it? Not that we only come ourselves and be saved from the ends of the earth, but it is in finding that salvation, that hope, do we, are we fueled to take that out and share it to others? To, to think God's answer to humanity and our sin and the curse from all the way to the beginning is found here in this person. And, and yet in finding that answer, there's a compelling, isn't it? A compelling for us to share it. Someone once, uh, someone said the other day, which I, I thought was interesting and, and a good answer. He says, what do you do when things are dark? Well, I told you what I do. I turn the light on. And that's exactly what he was saying. We turn the light on by sharing the gospel, by spreading it as, as far and as much as God will allow us. But also not only by sharing the gospel, it's also by... Showing the gospel, isn't it? Because Jesus said, you're like a city on a hill. We've, we've heard the reference of that even this morning. We show the love of Christ by our actions, by our deeds, the way we love one another uh, in this world we live in. He said in Matthew chapter number 7 that they will, uh, they will see your good deeds. Now some of that makes us nervous when we hear stuff like that because we're like, oh no, you're preaching on good deeds. No, he says they will see your good deeds and they will glorify your Father in heaven. By the lives we live and the testimony, by, by believing what Jesus said and by, by trusting him and walking by faith, we glorify God or we cause others to glorify God who is in heaven. We are to be the light of the world, not only as we share it, but as we, as we show it. Let me just give you a, a thought as we uh, come to a close this morning. The message of Jesus is spectacular. But I want you to see, and I guess what has captured my heart this morning, especially out of this passage, is that it's not only spectacular, but it was anticipated. What we come to look at and what we, we hold and what we ship out and Christmas cards and, and make plays out of and all the other stuff that goes on and songs out of, it was something that the Word of God was saying, open your eyes. This is the very thing that I was meaning to do all along. The Bible pointing us and, and bringing us over and over through the Old Testament back to this glorious promise that God would himself come and God would himself bring salvation. God would do a work which, which we come to see is done in and only through Jesus Christ. He really is the central figure of it all. Not just of Christmas, right? We, we know that. But really of all human history. Paul says there's only two significant figures, and I know that's kind of humbling, isn't it, when I say that, only two significant figures, billions and billions of people on the earth, thousands of centuries of civilization, and yet he says there's only really two. There's Adam, and then there's Christ. Bringing us back to that central answer to Adam's sin and folly found in Jesus Christ, we see that in the book of Revelation. The world has found itself in the past century struggling and 
and trying to strip everything supernatural from our Bibles and, and everything supernatural from, um, from this season or whatever it may be. They've been trying to search for the historical Jesus, whatever or whoever he was, and yet in the midst of it all, here it is, plain and simple, it is God's salvation, the light to the Gentiles. It's found here. As our Bibles lead us, this is God's answer to our problem, rooted rooted in the fullness of his revelation to us. It is an ancient story, isn't it? And I just hope you not only see that, but marvel at it. Notice verse 33 with me. And we'll close with this. I know I say marvel and you probably think of the comics, but it's not, okay? They were amazed. You would have been too. There's angels and there's all this other stuff, and yet, yet over and over, it seems like Mary and Joseph is continually being being dumbfounded by the things that are going on in their life and around them because of this child. And yet here at this proclamation of Simon, the, the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel, it says in verse number 33, his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. This is a, this is a time, and you know, really, like we do with Easter, every Sunday, every day of the week is a time that we're to marvel at who this Jesus is. And there's sometimes we have a lot of stuff outside of us and around us which is pointing and helping us to take that time to do that. And I think we have that this year as we do every year in our calendars. Let's take time throughout this season to marvel at who he is, this answer to our darkness. Bow with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. You may even this morning be in darkness. You may not have any hope and lost in your own sin and in your own ways. Let me, just, let me just encourage you to turn to Jesus. That's what he says. Turn to me the ends of the earth and be saved. That's the gospel call he's giving. And I would give you that call this morning. If you want to talk about that, I'd love to talk to you after the service or someone here points you to who Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time this morning as we come together to worship. Lord, reminded of your grace to us and how that you have, have been patiently bringing about your plan and your purpose, your salvation for your people. Lord, we rejoice in that. We rejoice in the hope of the gospel. We rejoice not only in the hope of it, what it gives for us to anticipate, but the power of it right now in our lives. We are saved. Those who turn to you and put their faith in Jesus Christ are saved. New creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. A glorious reminder even this morning. We just pray that you would help us throughout these weeks and uh, throughout the days that you would help us to continue to marvel at what you've done through this child Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.